everybody. It's Dr. Sandy Laura Kramers, one of the eye surgeons and visionary eye doctors. Thank you again for joining us for the EYE show. I'm here with Dr. Rena Garg, and who's one of our board-certified surgeons for glaucoma, who specialized in glaucoma at Columbia University. And today we're going to do part two of our glaucoma series. So in the first podcast of, on glaucoma, we talked a little bit. Dr. Garg talked about how to tell or how do we tell if you have glaucoma, what are some of the symptoms and signs. We're going to recap that and go a little deeper into how do you tell if your glaucoma is getting worse. And this is something that a lot of our patients, many of our patients are physicians and scientists and have asked me over the years, what are the parameters that help us determine if the glaucoma is getting worse and what do we need to do about it? So here we go. So we're going to talk to Dr. Gar here. Thank you again for joining us, Dr. Gar. So in a kind of going, just recapping, just a quick way of how do you explain what glaucoma is to patients briefly. And then we're going to jump into how do we tell if somebody's getting worse. Sure, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me again. I'm glad to be here. Um, so I explain glaucoma to my patients. I think the best analogy is to compare glaucoma or the eye to a, uh, to a light bulb or to a lamp. Um, essentially, the uh, eye is the lamp or the light bulb, and um, the brain is the power source. And the optic nerve is the structure that connects the light bulb to the power source. And ultimately, in glaucoma, what happens is the optic nerve gets damaged. So if you imagine a lamp and the cord that connects the outlet to the lamp gets damaged, you're not going to have light. And it's very similar in the body. If the optic nerve gets damaged, you're never going to see a picture. And just like any other nerve in the body, if there's damage, you can't replace it, you can't repair it. So we have to do everything we can to fight glaucoma to prevent any damage to the optic nerve so that our patients don't lose any vision. And it's the only nerve that we can see die. Exactly. In the whole body. Exactly. Which is brilliant because obviously vision is one of the most important senses or the most important sense yes. I would say we have and so the the how does vision decrease in glaucoma so most people don't notice it until sure. what point what point do they sure absolutely it? so we call glaucoma the silent thief of sight the reason being is that typically the vision um, in the very far periphery the very far side vision gets affected first and as glaucoma gets worse the side vision gets smaller and smaller until you kind of have no peripheral vision mm -hmm. at all mm -hmm. and our brains are really smart at adapting it's a good fight or flight response um, so any small changes in the peripheral vision our brain adapts and uses cues from other parts of the vision to help make up for that loss um, it takes about a 50% loss of peripheral vision before any patient will notice that they've lost any of it. So and that's quite a significant amount of vision. So both of us, I'm sure, have had friends who and patients who are young. They didn't even know they had a family history. They come in with maybe slight question of vision, and all of a sudden you have to tell them they have a potentially blinding disease, which can Absolutely. be very devastating. Absolutely. So we're going to go through a little bit on the YouTube part of this on some of the imaging studies we use to determine if somebody has glaucoma and then go through how we determine if they get worse. So let us go sure. through this, Dr. Garg, together. So Dr. Kramer, one of the really important things you said earlier was that the optic nerve is the only nerve in the body that we can actually see. So why that's so important is because as uh, ophthalmologists, eye doctors, optometrists, we can actually dilate your pupils and we can look inside the eye and we can actually physically view the optic nerve. 
In addition to that, our technology now is so great that we can actually take scans and pictures of the optic nerve and we can measure the thinnest, most superficial part of the nerve called the retinal nerve fiber layer. And that's a fancy term to describe the very superficial part of the nerve that is actually damaged in glaucoma. And because our technology is, is so good, we're looking at a structure that's just microns thick. And not only are we looking at it, we're also imaging it and we're imaging it over time over years and we're measuring differences in the thickness of that layer to the degree of microns. So you're talking in the sense of the insulation around the nerve and exactly. what's kind of an example so let's say the diameter of the optic nerve is compared to the head of a what would you say? That's a good question. Yeah. So, um, so the diameter, I, again, I think the power cord is a great analogy. Mm -hmm. So if you actually cut open a power cord, you'll see that there are tiny little wires that kind of go through it. And it's very similar in the optic nerve. You have your outer sheathing, the plastic black sheathing in a power cord. You have that in the optic nerve. And then if you kind of look deep into the optic nerve, you'll see there millions and millions of tiny little nerve fibers that are actually coursing from the brain into the eye. And uh, what we're measuring is that outer sheathing, that, that black covering of the And of so the it's about 1,500 microns. microns. And exactly. so that's similar to what would we be able to kind of... Oh, um, like the pin of a needle? Yeah, the pin of a needle. Yeah, so the, exactly. the, tip, of the, the yes. tip of the the tip of the needle, yes. kind of, so it's super tiny. Yes. And so we use microscopes to see this. Exactly. And so the technology we're going to show on the YouTube version kind of shows that beautiful magnified version of the tip of a needle, what we're seeing under the microscope, and that tip of the needle it determines if you're going to see for the rest of your life or not. Exactly. And so let's go through some of the data sure. here. So we're going to go through two imaging studies. So you on the, that are on the podcast will kind of hear us explain a little bit what we're seeing, and then the YouTube version will have the actual pictures of it. Um, but let's go through a little bit about the Heidelberg, which we talked a little bit about last time. Sure. It's one of those techniques and images we've had for many years. And then the second imaging on the left, the Zeiss image, is a more newer machine. Sure, so absolutely. So how, how have you used this in the past and how, when did you transition to sure, this Sure, absolutely. So I transitioned to the Zeiss machine probably about five to seven years ago. Um, the reason being, I feel like for me as a glaucoma specialist, the Zeiss machine gives a little bit better details and information about the optic nerve. The Heidelberg is also a really good machine and gives a lot of good information and details. Um, but like I said, you know, that just happens to be my preference. So this is a printout from the, from the Zeiss machine. It's called the Cirrus, um, and this is a printout from the Heidelberg machine. It's called the Spectralis. And essentially, for you know um, non-eye specialists, um, you can see it's actually taking a picture of the optic nerve. This is actually the optic nerve in the right eye and left eye, and then here these are serial pictures of the optic nerve in the, in the left yeah. eye over time. So this was in 2020, 2022, and then later in 2022. Um, and as Dr. Kramers mentioned, this is this actual picture here, the width of the picture is showing um, maybe about five millimeters of tissue, um, and the optic nerve itself is comprising about less than two millimeters of tissue. So this is a very highly magnified picture view of the optic nerve. And what the machine is actually doing, not only is it taking a picture, but it's actually showing us the different layers of the nerve. So it's showing us where the insulation is, it's showing us where the nerve fibers are, it's showing us where the cell bodies are, and 
so we can look at a very magnified high depth view of not only looking at the nerve but we can also measure the thickness of each layer to see if there's any damage and then we can measure it over time and follow it over time again to the degree of several microns of accuracy to see if there's been any change over time and what's the point to all of this the point is that if we can find early changes meaning early loss of any of these layers, then we know that perhaps there's glaucoma damage going on and we can intervene by lowering the patient's pressure so that we can prevent that slight thick thinning of the layer to, from translating over into vision lost. So you can lose a small amount of your nerve layer without actually losing vision, but when it becomes a significant amount of nerve lost, that's when you actually start to, to lose vision. And our goal as eye specialists is to make sure that we catch those changes way before it translates over into actual vision loss for the patient. So let's say you have a patient that comes in and you're suspicious because of the way the nerve looks on the microscope, and but you do, let's say, a Cirrus or a Heidelberg test, and it's all green. Right. It looks normal. Right. And then you follow them over the years. Mm -hmm. At what point do you intervene? What point do you start drops? Great question. So, you know, uh, the colors, I think it's an important thing to talk about. Um, the colors are basically based on comparing this patient's measurement to what's called a normative database. And this normative database is uh, established by each company independently. Um, and it, it comprises several hundred patients. Um, and unfortunately, the diversity amongst the that, that group of normal, quote-unquote, normal patients um, is not that great. So uh, the colors don't really always translate over to each individual patient. And what I would encourage every eye specialist to do, instead of actually looking at the colors, is to look at the numbers. So these numbers actually tell you the thickness of that layer in each specific sector or in each specific quadrant, as you can see on the Heidelberg. And my suggestion is if there is a sustained loss or meaning decrease in the thickness of the layer over a period of time, that is the time that you should act. So for example, if I have a patient and their sector shows a normal kind of 60 microns of thickness and I check their uh, layer again in about six months and it says 60 and it says 60 several times and then I repeat it in maybe two years or so and it comes back at 50 that's going to alert me that hey something's going on mm -hmm. and typically what I'll do is I'll look at the entire test I'll look to see to make sure that the picture is of good quality so I'm looking to make sure that there are no black spots so that means mm -hmm. black spots means that the picture didn't capture there was dropout for some reason maybe the patient was blinking maybe they pulled away a little bit um, but there's an issue with the picture I'll also look at the exposure here so you want to make sure that the vessels are in good focus if they're not in focus in this picture then that tells you that maybe the the actual exposure of the picture was off a little bit so assuming that all the parameters parameters are correct and there is about a 5 to 10 micron decrease from what we call their baseline thickness that to me would alert me to get a visual field to see if there's actually any functional 
loss of vision. So we're, this is the structure. We're looking at the structure of the optic nerve to see if there's loss. Ne the next step is to check the function, so the actual patient's peripheral vision mm -hmm. to see if they've lost any vision. I would check their pressure to see if they have any changes in their eye pressure, and then I would treat it. Okay, great. Depending on those And things. so in terms of the normative data, that mm -hmm. what determines green from yellow from red, okay. is there a standard thickness for the superior nerve, the nasal nerve, the inferior nerve, and or the temporal nerve and every kind of quadrant has a thickness per se what is the normal or do we know that do we know that's that? a good question we do know that i don't okay. remember it okay, off the top it. of my so head so we just rely on the machines to remind us or exactly. to, to tell us what's nor technically normal, normal for the normative data uh -huh. and versus abnormal right exactly got it and do we know what how much decrease in the thickness do you need for it to go from green to yellow and from yellow to red? It is different for each quadrant, okay. so I'll have to look that up. And, and it's I different for each machine. Exactly. Got it's it. it's okay. different for each machine. But the, the biggest thing is that regardless of the color, you're comparing the patient's baseline or first images mm -hmm. to their follow-up images. I think that's the most important thing. And so you'll treat if there's a 5 millimeter decrease over time or 10 millimeter or just depends on the risk factors and all the other things I think as well? it depends okay. on the whole picture. So the, you know, the visual field, the pressure, the patient patients' risk mm -hmm. factors, if they have an incredibly strong family history, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I might be more aggressive in treating them. Because we do know glaucoma can run in families, though often it doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, so so I think it's important to take in kind of the holistic view of the patient. Wonderful. And then for those, again, on the podcast, we're going to just uh, turn our attention to the images one more time here. But on the YouTube channel, you'll see here that we have the Heidelberg, which we were talking about the quality of images yes. also on the Heidelberg. So if you could go through sure. what have you tell, that's a good quality image. Absolutely. So the first thing you want to see is you want to make sure that this green circle is actually centered around the nerve. The green circle is actually where the, the machine is doing their measurements of the different layers of the nerve. And this plot here is actually the picture that the green circle took when it went in a circle around the nerve. And what the machine is doing, it's taking the different, it almost took like a cross section of the nerve and then it's automated, in an automated fashion, it's trying to separate out the very top layer, like we talked about, the insulation layer of the optic nerve. And you can see in this picture, and we can blow it up for the for the YouTube um, viewers, but you can see in this picture, it's a very choppy segmentation. So you worry that in this particular picture, that maybe the patient was moving a little bit, maybe the, um, the actual light and exposure was not that great, or the focus wasn't that great. Um, so in this particular picture, I worry that maybe it's not the best segmentation of the retinal nerve fiber layer. In the follow-up image, however, the next year, you can see, again, great centration of the optic nerve, and now you have a much smoother, the, the two lines are much smoother, and they appear to be following the same course and same path all the way through. And so I would say this looks like a much better image of the optic nerve. And then the follow-up image, I think, mimics the second one um, better as well. So for this particular patient, what I would recommend is on follow-up, I would actually set this as the baseline image mm -hmm. to compare a few images too because I think it's a, just a better quality picture. So you want to make sure that there's no changes based on this picture on future Going visits. forward. Okay, exactly. assuming the images are good going forward. Exactly. And then again, it's a kind of counterclockwise exactly. scan where mm -hmm. you're looking at the nasal. Right. It starts from nasal all the way back to nasal here. 
So okay, you would see nasal nerve, then superior nerve, then mm -hmm. inferior nerve, then temporal nerve, then nasal. I'm sorry, superior, then temporal, then nasal, nasal again. again. Okay, yeah. great. And then in terms of the, we talked about how this patient, for instance, looked like they got worse and then they got better, but it really has to do with the quality of the image. Right. And then at what point when you see this transition from the kind of let's say this becomes a standard and then we repeat it again and there's no worsening, how much more would you have to see to add another drop? Let's say this patient is on drops. Sure, that's a great question. And how question. do you determine? So we talk a little bit in the way I was trained of the T-max or the maximum pressure. I was trained to take 30% off the max. You get the T-goal or the goal pressure. And I tell patients their goal usually so they know when they go from different providers or if they're traveling around the world right. that we want your pressure to be at this goal pressure. And if you're not at that goal pressure, we want to probably think about decreasing it more. Sure. So how do you treat it with the max pressure versus goal pressure or how do you decide when to change things? I think the 30% is actually a great rule of thumb okay. to start with and that's what I do as mm -hmm. well. So I'll look at their maximum pressure that we've measured and the goal will be about 30% mm -hmm. reduction from there. But you know what I tell my patients in addition to everything you said is just that this goal it's sort of a moving target mm -hmm. because every time you come in we're assessing whether our goal is correct mm -hmm. because unfortunately we don't have a crystal ball. Mm -hmm. So we can't look into our crystal ball and say that at this pressure you're never going to progress and we know what the future holds. Mm -hmm. We're kind of taking things as they come. We know in studies that 30% has been shown to be a very good aggressive target in bringing the pressure down without the patient suffering a lot of side effects mm -hmm. from unnecessary surgeries, unnecessary treatments. But that being said, some patients will still progress with that 30% target and then we have to be more aggressive. The other thing to, to, to note as well is that you may have a patient who comes in with a pressure of, let's say, 40. Mm -hmm. A 30% reduction from a pressure of 40 mm -hmm. down to 28 probably still isn't going to be mm -hmm. low enough. Mm -hmm. So I think it's an important to, ha to have that discussion with the patient and say that, you know, we maybe need a 50% mm -hmm. reduction for mm -hmm. you. And so my goal is that you have to be under 20, otherwise I'm going to keep mm -hmm. changing the treatments mm -hmm. and, and working on it. And I think that's really important for patients to become educated on their condition and for doctors and patients to kind of talk about it and have the, a collaborative relationship. And that's what I tell all of my patients, that we're a team. Mm -hmm. We're working on this mm -hmm. together. It's not me. It's not you. Mm -hmm. We're working together. And when you have that good collaborative re relationship, then the patient understands why mm -hmm. they need to use their medication or do the treatments they need to do. And then the doctor has an easier time of assessing where exactly they need to That's go. right. And patients are more likely to comply with exactly. the medications, which can be sometimes tough. Absolutely. And so we're talking a little bit about what's called primary open angle glaucoma yes. or high pressure glaucoma. Yes. Can you briefly go through the different types of glaucoma? Just a sure. brief rundown. Absolutely. And also which one has the best prognosis versus the worst prognosis? Sure, absolutely. So um, there are two types of glaucoma. So there's open angle and there's closed angle glaucoma. And all that's referring to is the anatomical structures. So either the angle structure, which is the natural drain of the eye, is either open or closed. Um, and the most common type in the Western world is primary open angle glaucoma. It just so happens that we here tend to be more open angle. Mm -hmm. In Asia, um, specifically in Southeast Asia, China, and, and other Asian countries, uh, you'll see more closed angle glaucoma. And I think that just has to do with different genetics mm -hmm. and different anatomy, um, anatomy yeah. um, differences between the different regions of 
of the world. Um, within open angle glaucoma, you can have primary open angle glaucoma, which means that there is no other cause for the glaucoma. You just happen to have glaucoma and get it for no secondary reason that we can find. And then there's also secondary open angle glaucoma. So that's glaucoma caused by something else. So there's, you know, you could have glaucoma from, from trauma, from different conditions in the eye. There are conditions like pigment dispersion syndrome, pseudoexfoliation syndrome. Sometimes if there are tumors in the eye, they can cause glaucoma. Um, if you have leukemia or lymphoma, other blood dyscrasias, they can cause glaucoma. So there's a lot of secondary causes for glaucoma. I would say that comprises about less than 5% of open angle glaucomas. So 95% of patients, the vast majority of patients are otherwise healthy, thank goodness. And they're just, you know, dealing with their glaucoma and not dealing with another secondary cause. And then there is, of course, the narrow angle, which you talked about, which yes. you have a treatment for to prevent glaucoma yes. called laser iridotomy. And then there's the normal tension glaucoma or low pressure right. glaucoma. Yes. So what's your favorite way to term that, to, to state that? What's the, the, uh, I usually the, say normal pressure. Normal. Yeah. And then do those patients have worse prognosis than, and why do they have a worse prognosis? Good question. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I, I, I don't like to say that they have a worse prognosis, but I will say that normal pressure glaucoma is more difficult to treat. The reason being is that we think that normal pressure glaucoma is more related to vascular changes. Mm -hmm. So for some reason, these patients just have weaker vessels mm -hmm. and the, the vessels are not able to carry blood as um, strongly or as accurately or as um, at the, the normal pressure to the eye. So uh, the eye is not getting as much perfusion of blood as it would if their vessels were more healthier. Mm -hmm. So um, for that reason, it becomes a little bit more difficult to treat. And then also in terms of the fluctuation for the pressures, that's how, what's the variation of the, the pressure fluctuation sure. that's a concern? Sure, absolutely. So we know from studies that normal, normal patients with no history of glaucoma, based on their dire, diurnal variations, their pressure can range from about eight points in a given day. So, you know, for a glaucoma patient, you want to reduce that variation mm -hmm. because the more variation that you have on an already damaged nerve can cause the nerve to become more further damaged. So I try to, you know, get as close to a very stable pressure as possible. Um, but I would say within four to six points in any given day can be normal, even for a glaucoma okay, patient. Great. Thank you. So we're going to wrap up the second session of the glaucoma series with Dr. Garg, and we'll continue next time on what drops are recommended, how drops work, and how we structure those types of schedules. So thank you again for joining us for the EYE show. Please don't forget to subscribe and pass it on to friends and family, and please continue to send us your questions and suggestions. Thank you again, everybody.